Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way, or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We are super excited to have everybody back and listening to us and coming back every other week for the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast. And today we have another really special guest. We are going to learn a lot today, guys. We have Lee from Physician on Fire, and he is here to school us on everything we do right and wrong and finances and high earning careers. We frequently have these discussions in our group about, you know, where do you go after graduation, after you max out that 401k, after you do all the things that they teach you to. We, we find ourselves really trying to navigate finances and nobody teaches you this in school. And I truly believe this is a huge, huge topic that should be covered in at least undergrad school, but definitely graduate school. Leaf, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to uh, be here talking with you. Hey, Smart Mamas. This is Lacey, and we're, I'm so excited to chat with you, Leaf. I've been a follower of your website for a couple years now, and so I think you have some great information, and your mission is wonderful. You know, you donate a lot of the money that you make from your website to charity, and you include your um, readers' input on which charities those go to. So I think that's real, so awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Crystal is here with us, too. Hey guys. Um, Leif, I just wanted to ask you, what's your favorite charity to donate to? Well, one that uh, I was able to uh, take my family with me on a medical mission, uh, which is open to nurse anesthetists, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the group is called One World Surgery and they do a free little surgical hospital down in Honduras. And so we are now supporting uh, one of the full-time physicians uh, who works there um, wow. on site at the... Uh, the mission that we, I was able to go two weeks uh, in the last two years. It's a really, uh, really great organization. So yeah, that makes me happy. And you've been able to take your whole family with you too. So everyone in the family can participate in this group. Yeah. That's one thing I was really looking for and was hard to find. It, It wasn't difficult to find an overseas medical mission to join, but it was difficult to find one where my family could have an experience. And the first time we went, I believe our boys were six and eight or seven and nine years old. Uh, but they found um, some things for them to do along with my wife who, who worked with them because uh, the actual surgical hospital was built on the site of a large children's home, this ranch in the uh, rural part of Honduras where hundreds of kids actually grow up when they come from disadvantaged families or you know, lose their parents, that sort of thing. Um, so oneworldsurgery.org if you want to check it out. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So Leif, just to start us off here, can you kind of give us a little introduction to you and your blog and, you know, just kind of why, why do we know you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I, we're practically neighbors, Lacey. I grew up <laughs> I in, uh, 
in St. Peter, Minnesota, just down the road from Mankato, like 12 miles away. Yeah. Um, but you probably know me because I started a website called Physician on Fire uh, about four years ago now, uh, talking about the FIRE acronym, which stands for Financial Independence, uh, Retiring Early. And I have now done that. I've retired early from medicine uh, just about five months ago when I was 43 years old. And it was a few years before uh, all of this that I realized that we were going to be able to afford to do that. And then it, it took me some time to figure out if I really wanted to do that. Uh, but in the end, it seemed that uh, the freedom that we now have uh, and the time I get to spend with my family makes it, uh, makes it very worthwhile. What was your background in medicine? Can you tell us? And yes. your wipes? Yes, I am, was, I'll have to say, was an <laughs> anesthesiologist uh, for uh, practicing for a bit over 13 years. And uh, my wife stayed home to raise our children. She is trained as a registered dietitian, uh, but didn't really do any work in the field. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, that way people know where we're coming from. So, you know, yes. you have like actual firsthand experience in our field. Indeed, yes. And I've, I've worked um, in models mostly with uh, medical direction, uh, working with nurse anesthetists and, uh, you know, had a, had a good experience there. That's Great. awesome. Uh, tell us about your family. Like, how old are your kids? Yeah, so we have two boys. They are now nine and 11 years old. And what we've decided to do with this newfound freedom is to travel uh, quite extensively. And we still spend our summers in uh, the upper Midwest, but uh, we were in Mexico for two months last fall. And now we're in Spain for two months and we're planning to go next fall to Asia, perhaps Australia, New Zealand for uh, a total of seven months. If you count the uh, cruise ship we're taking over and the one we're taking back, it's I think maybe a six and a half month uh, journey altogether. So we're out exploring so the world and cool. for the first time, thanks. We're uh, doing some homeschooling or road schooling, world schooling, whatever you want to call it. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, it's great. How, it. how have they adjusted to that? You know, better than I thought. My wife has been pretty good. You know, she doesn't really believe in kids just taking the summer off and, and you know, basically going backwards in their education. You know, it seems at, at uh, you know, regular public school, which is where they were for, uh, you know, the first uh, you know, four or five years of uh, their education. The last month or so of school, you know, kids are rambunctious and not learning anything. Yeah. And then the first four to six weeks when they come back in the fall is basically catching up on, you know, what they forgot over the summer. Right. And so the last few summers, my, my wife has given them some work to do to kind of introduce the idea of just because you're home doesn't mean you get to ignore all learning. And so, you know, we found a lot of online resources. Khan Academy has been a big one for us. We worked with some workbooks. Uh, do some things on our own, just kind of based on where we are, learning the local culture, local language, local history, et cetera. So you they're doing have, really well with it. You have to share that with us, those resources and your wife and everything, because that sounds amazing. I would love, I mean, my boys are little, but when they're older, I totally support that as keeping them active in the summer and learning constantly. So uh, yeah, I would love to talk to you more later um, sure. about that. Happy to help. Yeah, we've been doing, um, and it was just one year, she's in first grade, oh, some, summer school, quote unquote, just to prevent the summer slide, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's, it's really helpful. 15, starting early. <laughs> <laughs> so can you kind of take us back to where you started, you know, investing? I, I've 
I've read your website and I know you've talked on there about how you didn't realize you were really financially independent until after you were and you kind of discovered this FIRE movement after you reached that point. But how did you get into investing? How did you start and, and really yeah, well, kind of gain that momentum? You know, it all started when I started making money <laughs> and I had to do something <laughs> with it um, and I didn't want to spend it all. I knew that was a bad idea. So, you know, I, I, I have these, you know, different accounts available to me, you know, SEP IRA or a solo 401k. I just, um, you know, even back in, in medical school, I remember uh, talking with my dad about, you know, what does he do for, for investments, knowing that someday I would make good money. And he sent me this book, uh, The Only Investment Guide You'll Ever Need, it's called, by Andrew Tobias. And I read that, I think, in third year of medical school. And it, it was a pretty basic book, but covered a lot of ground and really hammered the home the idea that you know, early on, it's more about how much you save versus how and where you invest. It's more just how much do you keep to invest. Mm -hmm. and, and that really stuck with me. So... You know, on average, I probably saved at least half of what I earned, if not more, and invested it. And I happened to get lucky and invest over a period of time over the last you know, dozen years or so where the market has done very, very well for us. Yes. How was your family growing up in terms of money? Were they money conscious? Were they very educated in this, what you're teaching us now? Did you just happen to figure it out by yourself? Kind of walk us through that. That's a good question. Yeah, my, my parents did a really good job of, of, of modeling, I think, good financial behaviors. My, uh, my dad was a dentist, so he did you know, pretty well. And yet we would still go to garage sales all the time. Get up at seven so we could hit the sales early before everybody else gets <laughs> the good stuff. You know, oh, yeah. stop the good at thrift stuff stores. And yeah. It does, yeah. <laughs> They're out there on Thursdays now. You know, They're retired <sighs> too, so they get, up, they get the Thursday sales. <laughs> hit them up. Uh, early up in Brainerd. Um, yeah. And so my dad also taught me the rule of 72, which is, uh, is this a term you guys have heard before? Never. No. Okay. It's a very simple way to uh, figure out how long it will take your money to double. So you take the return that you're getting in terms of percent, let's say it's 6% and divide that into 72. So at 6%, your money will double in about 12 years. Now, if you oh. get some great investment that earns you 18%, well, 18 times four is 72, so your money would double in four years. So you can kind of in your head figure, oh, you know, well, let's see, I'll invest this money and then maybe at 9%, okay, eight years later, it'll be worth twice as much. And for me, that was always like in the back of my mind when, when you had a, an opportunity to spend or save some money, it's like, okay, do I want to spend this $10,000 now or have like $40,000 maybe in 10 or 15 years or 20 years, maybe have 80 or 160,000 as it continues to double. Uh, so knowing that it really helped me uh, to save that money rather than, than spend it all when I started making the uh, physician income. Where does the 72 come from? Uh, that's, that's, uh, it's math. I don't know. <laughs> it's actually like 69 point Enough something. Said. <laughs> and it depends if you, you know, the money compounds daily or monthly or annually. 
And if you go to the Wikipedia, they'll show you a complex formula, but the, the rule of 70 is probably a better number, but not that many numbers go into 70 besides like 10 and seven and two, 35. <laughs> uh, but 72 is a one that is very, uh, very easily divisible by almost any number you can come up with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, once you, it's, I feel like personal finance is kind of like framing your mindset. And like once you start to realize the power of compound interest and you're like, oh, I could spend this, but if I left it here, look what I can get in six, eight, 10 years. Yep, exactly. And so just knowing that in the back of my mind, like, yeah, I'm just going to let that money, you know, sit and double and quadruple and octuple. And I don't know where the word for 16 times. (laughs) I'm sure there's a fancy something or other. Yeah. So it sounds like... Sorry, go ahead, Crystal. Sorry. How do you dumb this down, dumb it down for to teach kids? How do you bring it to a level that children can understand how to save money and and set themselves up for financial success? Yeah, that's a good question because yeah, I mean even even kids, you know, up until at about age nine, don't do multiplication or division until maybe fourth grade. So even the rule of 72 isn't going to mean a lot to them. Um, one thing that we've done is, you know, our kids get birthday money and Christmas money, and we've started giving them a small allowance for doing some chores. So they get money to put into a spend jar, a save jar, and a give jar. And that idea came from a book called The Opposite of Spoiled by Ron Lieber. Um, but then the rest of the money they get, you know, it would just sit in a piggy bank or, you know, at one time we opened a, a local savings account, but they're never going to see the statements and it doesn't mean anything to them, especially when they're earning like 0.01% interest, right? So uh, what we decided to do is uh, basically act as the bank for them. So let's say they get a check for 20 bucks for their birthday. Uh, we take the money and I update a spreadsheet and I put, give them another $20 on their balance. And we've, we've done that with all the money they've gotten over the years. And even like with their spend or save jars, they'll empty those out and we'll just add it to the bank. And every month we give them 1% interest. So they now have hundreds of dollars and they see if they leave that money in there, let's say there's 700 bucks. Well, this month I get $7 because I didn't touch it. Yeah. And if they would spend $100, well, now they'd be down to 600 and, and get less interest. So they're getting like 12% per year which how long will that take to double anyone? Six. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ellen gets, Ellen gets the prize. Ellen uh, gets the money. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're seeing that and I show them and they ask to see their, you know, their bank account from the bank of mom and dad. And, uh, and I think that's working well. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that idea a lot. We and then in about- general, sorry, in, in general, I think just, uh, modeling good behavior. Like I saw, you know, my parents, even though they made good money, they were very value conscious. And when we travel, we don't go five star, right? We get a, a decent Airbnb kind of near where we want to be, but maybe not right in the heart where everything's much more expensive. And, and uh, basically with everything, we're, we're just we're value conscious to making our dollars go pretty far you know, cooking a lot of meals at home. We're in Spain, like I said, now for two months and we do eat out. We had a a nice Chinese uh, meal today for lunch, but we also, uh, you know, go to the grocery stores and, and which are great here, by the way, stuff is 
cheap, much cheaper than in the U.S. Surprise. Nice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know that would be the case, but. Okay. I, I have a question. Do you ever go to Disney World? We do. We were there two years ago, I believe it was now. Uh, we did a full seven days, stayed on site, oh, okay. which in the shoulder season gave us uh, the free dining package, which was really cool. What is a shoulder season? Um, it, no, it's basically off season or between busy season and off season. But when we went, I suppose you could call it off season. It was the second week in September. So everyone was back in school and just starting and families don't vacation right when school starts. Beauty so of it was really quiet and we never waited. Yeah. We never waited in line for more than like 25 or 30 minutes at the busiest wow. rides. Yeah, That's amazing awesome. at Disney. Yeah. 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 And we um, did a Disney cruise before that too. So, I mean, there are some things that we splurge on, uh, but it's selective and that's right. not every trip we take. Could you tell us, and I don't know how to ask this the right way. What do you do now? Like you retired from medicine, so you're traveling, but I mean, are you living off of just your investments or do you have other things that you've invested your time and money into other jobs? What do you do now? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, today we went for an eight-mile run this morning, and then we walked around town and went to a museum or two and had that Chinese food. But um, as far as money, we certainly could live off our investments. Uh, you know, I've, I've figured out how much we spend, and it's it's going to be in the range of maybe $80,000 a year um, on everything, not including taxes, but including property taxes, because that's kind of like spending. Um and we'd have something like a 2% withdrawal rate, which means we're only pulling out, you know, if we were living on the investments, 2% per year. And you would expect your investments to grow at double or triple that or more most of the time. So, or at least over a long period of time on average. So I would not be concerned if we were living off of the money that we've saved. However, I do have this uh, online business that's associated with the website Physician on Fire. That really is the business. And so uh, that does bring in, uh, surprisingly, a, a good income, allows us to donate. Um, like I said, like you mentioned in the beginning, I donate half the profits, but what's left over is still enough for us to live on without having to touch what we've invested so far. That is amazing. What a life you guys have built. People dream of this. So cool. I'm, I'm so excited to learn more from you. Thanks. Okay. So this brings me to another question. You know, you talked about modeling things for your kids and you have, like Ellen said, you've built a really, really awesome life, but how do you teach your kids that this isn't normal? (laughs) 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 Their friends, you know, back in, you know, Minnesota or Michigan, uh, they're still in school back there and their parents are still going to work. So like, how do you teach them that this was intentional, purposeful and not normal for everyone? Yeah, that's tricky. And, you know, I'll take any tips you might have, but (laughs) we've, we've talked uh, about, uh, we've talked, we've talked with our kids about, you know, how we've saved, how we're able to afford this, how not driving really nice cars and, and, you know, having some of the things or doing some of the things we see um, some of our peers doing has allowed us to live like this. And so we remind them often I think they'll be old enough to remember the days where, you know, I wouldn't be home for dinner and called in in the middle of the night and, and everything else. Um, you know, they were, well, let's see, they were eight and 10 when I retired, but almost nine and 11. So, you know, 
midway through, uh, well, through elementary school, pretty much through through fourth through third and fourth grade. So, they'll have memories of me working, and and we just impress upon them that, you know, we we made this happen by saving and investing and being smart with our money. What about? Um... You know, I frequently tell my husband, I think it's important that as our kids grow up, they even understand that our income level is not normal. Like we are a high earning household. And I feel like no matter how much I try to, you know, limit the spoiling of my kids, it's almost inevitable in certain ways. And I just want them like we're trying to build a house and I just want them to appreciate or know in their future that, you know, there's people less fortunate. So what age do you start having those conversations, maybe exposing them to, you know, donating or, you know, feeding the homeless or that kind of stuff? When, when would you recommend that? How would you recommend that? I don't think there's an age too early really to start introducing some of those concepts. Uh, You know, when we started the allowance and they were maybe, maybe four and six, we started that give jar and then, at the end of the year, we'd ask them what what organization would you like to give to and kind of guide them through what types of places they could give to. And so they would choose a place that would get you know their $50 each year. Um, when they were a little bit older, like I said, we looked for you know a third world country where we could volunteer and they could join us and see how some other kids live. And that's why going with one world surgery and having them interact with the kids, see how they live, and it was, I think, really, really powerful uh, for them. So, uh, yeah, there, there's no age too early to start as far as that goes. You know, my kids are four and two, and we're just starting these conversations. And it's, it, I feel like it's hard. We're at the point now where my four-year-old will ask for, like, mommy, can you buy this for me in the store? And I'll say, well, buddy, that costs money. And do you have any money to buy that? And he goes, no. And then he puts it back. And so far, we've been able to walk away. But soon, I feel like it's going to get more demanding. It's going to get, you know, well, maybe I'll just use my allowance money to buy it then. And so I feel like these, yeah, these conversations are super hard. And every kid is different, right? I mean, you might have two kids that you teach the same way and they'll have very different attitudes towards money. And you see that all the time, you know, when, when kids grow up and they don't necessarily uh, behave the same way or uh, respect money the same way. So you do the best you can. That's all you can do. Will you share with us uh, so we could put in our show notes how you structure that give jar, the other jars that you do with your kids? That way we can share that with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. I probably have a blog post for that. I definitely have one on the bank of mom and dad and the 1% monthly awesome. interest. That I would be them. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then we can link it at least. Sure thing. Awesome. So guys, look in the show notes for uh, that structured give jar and then the bank of mom and dad. So I want to kind of change gears a little bit. Ellen, did you have another question before no, we do I'm that? stretching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that we want to touch on with you is 1099 income. So we're going to completely shift gears here, but we have a lot of uh, listeners and group members who have 1099 income. And I know in 2018, the tax laws changed and really made W-2 income versus 1099 income a lot different. So can you kind of talk us through like some of the benefits of 1099 income and some of the retirement options that are available to those with 1099 income? 
Sure, um, and that's a, that's a big topic, but I'd say the biggest advantage is that when you earn money as an independent contractor on a 1099, you have your own business and you can deduct expenses uh, against that business. And so uh, you, you may not have a ton as a CRNA, but you know, any you know, work, clothing, uh, conferences, if you don't have a CME fund that covers those travel to conferences, that sort of thing uh, can be business expenses. Some people have even, there's some kind of stipulation and maybe this has changed, but if you had a certain size SUV that could be deducted against uh, the business. So um, <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that, but, um, and then, you know, your, uh, your retirement accounts, I recommend an individual 401k, also called a solo 401k. And you can put, uh, 20% of your net business profit into that per year up to 57,000 in, uh, in 2020. So you can sock a lot of money away that way. And that's so much better. I mean, amount wise than uh, a 403B or a 401k allows you with the max being only 19.5, right? Right. Now, if you're employed, your employer may also kick some money into that via a match and or right. profit sharing. Um, and the actual max is the same, but I don't know many jobs where they actually put in the full, I guess it would be 38.5. No, sorry, 38. Nope, 37.5 on top of your 19.5. Yeah, that's like doubling just, what you're putting in. That's crazy. Right. Yeah, um, not, not many places are going to do that. No, for you. I just have one, I think there's a caveat with that. So my husband has a farm and so we just opened a solo 401k for him. Okay. But and so obviously farming is terrible right now. And so we haven't been making a lot of money on the farm. So I think, isn't there a 25% rule that like you can only contribute like above the 19.5, like 25% of that is your like employer match that they give you? I yeah, think there's so some limit. So you can't just you can put in the, like shove it all in there. No, and I, I mentioned the number 20%. And I think the 20 and 25 is kind of the same. Once you okay. take your contribution out, that comes out of your profits. Um, sure. So 25% of your income, you know, minus what you put away is now 20%. It, yeah, okay. Again, okay. that's, but yes, that's true. So you do need to make, uh, something in the neighborhood of 220000 to max it out in terms of business uh, profit. Can you talk about that solo 401k versus a SEP? And if you do both, if you, because I know the 401k, you can't just do it at the end of the year. You have to contribute to that ongoing, right? Versus the SEP where you can dump at the end. Is that not true? That's um, That is not true. Although I think you have to have the 401k uh, taken care of by the end of the calendar year, mm -hmm. and you have until the following mid-April uh, on the SEP IRA. Uh, the biggest advantage of the 401k is that uh, you can still do a backdoor Roth IRA without issues of the pro rad rule. And again, this gets into the weeds, and I can uh, give you a, a blog post for the show notes on that. But uh, backdoor Roth is something that allows people of any income to contribute to a Roth IRA. And there is an issue if you have any IRA in your name, but no issue if you have a 401k. So and the SEP is considered an IRA. It is. It's a SEP okay. IRA. And the other advantage of the 401k is you can max it out on a slightly lower income because you have that 19.5 uh, employee e-contribution 
and then you need the business profit to make the rest of the contribution. Whereas with a SEP IRA, it's just the 20 or 25% of the total uh, business profit that you can Is put it, um, Are they independent of one another, that 20, 25%? Yep. Yeah. Or they um, add up to the 57? So adds up to 57. Okay, so you can't do like 57 in the SEP and 57 in the 401. Okay. No, no. That, that would be a little no, too can't good. Double huh? dip. That would. <laughs> <laughs> that would explain a lot. Can you yeah. explain a backdoor IRA? Yeah, so the backdoor Roth, um, the reason you have to use the backdoor, which is a two-step process, is that there are rules put forth by the IRS that state if you earn more than as an individual, it's around 120,000. As a couple, about 180,000. You cannot contribute directly to a Roth IRA. But what you can do is make a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA, and the next day or the next week, convert it to a Roth IRA. And so functionally, it's the same. It's just a way to get around that archaic rule. Mm. Yep. Okay. And again, I've, I've got a blog post that explains all, all the stipulations, but both members of a, you know, uh, if you're married, you can each do 6,000 a year. If you're 50 or over 7,000 a year into a, a Roth IRA. And I look at that as an alternative to money that you would otherwise invest in a taxable brokerage account, you know, a non-qualified account. So it's, it's really just a way to protect that 6,000 or 12,000 a year or 14 from, uh, future taxation uh, and being taxed along the way or pay, paying capital gains taxes on it someday. Cool. Um, Thank you. While we're yeah. on the topic of a uh, 1099, could you uh, really quickly just uh, explain why or why not you think the S corp is valuable? Well, that's, that's challenging. And, and on that and really on any of the stuff I would consult uh, a tax professional, but S corp can actually harm you unless you have, really high income because what's uh, really high could you just clarify okay so there's this uh section 199a qualified business income deduction where you can we're really taking you down to the weeds 20 percent we? <laughs> of your business profits uh and get a a nice tax deduction from that so let's say you make three hundred thousand a year in business profits 20 percent of that is sixty thousand you get a twenty percent I'm sorry, you get a, so it'd be $60,000 deduction. And if you're paying, let's say you're paying a 30% marginal tax rate on that, that's going to save you $18,000 a year, 30% of the 60,000. So you want to protect that. And when you use an S corp and you pay yourself both a wage and a distribution, uh, you don't get to count all of that. You actually, I think it's uh, only the wage that gets counted um, for the 20% um, profit and deduction. Again, it gets really complicated. I probably couldn't answer all of your questions. I figured out what I need to know for myself and, and where you start to phase out of that, uh, 20% section 199, a qualified business income deduction is around 324,000, I believe in, in 2020. And it's actually based on taxable income. So after you've you know made any standard deduction or deduction for, uh, you know, charitable giving or whatnot, so if your taxable income is over 325 or so, then it gets even more complicated. But that's when maybe an S-corp would start to make sense if you're making more than 32420 end up. Is that just 320 in the S-corp or 320 in the household? 
household taxable okay. income. Yep. Okay. Yep. And uh, you bet. And that's really just food for thought. Like that could be a whole, you know, <laughs> a whole hour of, of trying to figure <laughs> it out. And I don't know if we ever would. Can I ask, how did you structure your blog business? So I have an LLC and right now uh, it's just uh, taxed as a sole proprietor. Uh, you can elect to be taxed as an S corp. You don't actually have to form uh, a corporate entity. You can just decide, uh, oh, okay, this year it makes sense to be taxed as an S corp and I'm going to take a distribution and pay myself a wage rather than uh, going through the full process of forming a corporation and maybe having to dissolve it later on. Um, when I, if, if it ever comes to the point where the business does make enough money, where it, it uh, there isn't, such an advantage to getting, or I would maybe lose some of that uh, qualified business income, de income deduction, then I would look at the S-Corp uh, filing status. But right now it's just an LLC, tax as a sole proprietorship. Awesome. Thank you. I know we have a lot of listeners who have side businesses, either with uh, some MLM company or, you know, like Botox and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I know we've gotten a lot of questions and we see a lot of questions in our group about kind of LLC type stuff. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your insights there. Sure. Get a good CPA. That's my uh, number one <laughs> yeah, advice. And, and talk yes. to them early and often because, you know, your income is going to change from year to year. Some years it might make sense to do one thing and other years another. Now, one of the things that we see a lot in our group is questions about um, getting started with investing. You know, especially this time of year, I feel like it's a big uh, topic of like, okay, you know, New Year's resolutions and that kind of thing. So, you know, Dave Ramsey has his baby steps for kind of getting started on a financial journey. Do mm -hmm. you have any, you know, kind of baby steps for new investors on how to get started? Yeah, it can be really overwhelming, you know, when you yes. look at the you know, wide variety of investments that you can make in all the different accounts. Um, and you mentioned it right at the beginning of the podcast, but just maxing out your 401k is a great place to start. Uh, people often have questions about what to invest in. And I really like the simple three fund portfolio. And you can expand upon that if you want to. But that's just three funds, you know, mutual funds or ETFs. Uh, total stock market, which is U.S. stocks. Uh, total bond fund, which is going to be U.S. bonds. And then an international stock fund. And if you own those... You've got like 3,000 U.S. stocks, something like 20,000 bonds, and I think it's maybe around 8,000 international stocks. Basically, every publicly traded asset out there. So you get incredible diversification, very simple to manage and understand, and the returns are going to be market returns, which are better than what most active fund managers actually manage to get you. So... Some of the questions people have are like, what, um, you know, like you said, investing in, like, what do I invest in? But then, you know, what kind of funds should I invest in? And I know um, you work closely with the White Coat Investor, and he kind of has a, like a bucket philosophy where you like fill these different buckets. So we had already kind of established like maxing out your 401k is a great place to start. What's the next bucket to fill? Because there's, you know, once you kind of start filling some of these buckets, you end up with these questions like, do I pay off my mortgage or do I invest more? And, you know, you kind of get in the weeds there too. Right. 
And if you've got high interest debt, like credit card debt, I would take care of that as soon as I've put in enough to get the 401k match. If you've got very low you know, student loan interest uh, debt, maybe you've refinanced to three or 4% or less, you, you'd probably want to continue in investing. But it depends on your temperament and how you feel about debt. A lot of people feel very good when it's gone, and I'm one of those people too. So, um, But as far as you know, 401k, yep, check that off the list. Uh, you might have an HSA, a health savings account, which is often paired with a um, high deductible health plan, which many of us have now. And that's really an investment account. Uh, that's uh, one that can be used for healthcare expenses, but you can let the money grow, roll over, and let it grow for years. And, and in fact, you can use it on non-healthcare expenses after you're 65 if you haven't incurred the, uh, enough uh, to you know, uh, spend all of the, you know, for a family, it's 7,100 a year you can put in now. So I really like the HSA. It's tax deductible on the way in. It grows tax-free. And if you spend it on any eligible medically related expenses, uh, it's also tax-free when you withdraw it. And there's really no other account that is quote-unquote triple tax-free like that. And then there's the backdoor Roth, which we mentioned. And after that, you know, some jobs might have some special accounts and whatnot, but it's not very common. Uh, I just like the good old taxable account, just the brokerage account where you're buying more mutual funds that you can do whatever you want with. There's you know, no stipulations on age that you can access it. It's just you buy the mutual fund, it's yours. When you want to sell it, you sell it, get the money out. How do you feel about 529 accounts and like saving for kids college? I know when I graduated college in 07, it the economy was still going okay. And then in 08, 09, 10, you know, I have some friends whose parents had invested a lot in their 529 accounts. And then all of a sudden that money was dwindling as they were pulling it out and needing it. Yep. And that's kind of two different issues. You know, A, do you save in a 529? And B, if you do, how do you have it invested? So there are a lot of, uh, 529 plans that offer like an age-based allocation, where as you get closer to 18, it becomes more conservative, invested more in bonds, less in stocks, and that can prevent that from happening. Uh, personally, I like the 529. Our kids uh, have 529 plans. It gives us a state income tax deduction when we put money in. That's pretty new in Minnesota, and it's only $3,000 per year, I believe, per family. Or maybe it's fifteen hundred per child, but I think it's three thousand per kid. Per kid, is it? Okay. Yeah, it's three thousand per kid. Okay. Well, that's something. in Minnesota. Oh, right. that's it. Just Minnesota. No, Which that, that's state the is specific rule. Yeah, oh, most okay. states that have a state income tax will give you some uh, deduction or credit. Usually, it's a deduction, a deduction on somewhere from five to twenty thousand dollars per family or per child, uh, only okay. on the state income tax. So like, for example, in Michigan, we can get up to $10,000 deducted on our state income tax per family. So if I do that, it saves us $425 because the state income tax is a flat four and a quarter percent. So right off the bat, that's kind of like getting a, a four and a quarter percent bonus. And in Minnesota, it's, uh, it might be 9.85 or 7.5 or, or whatever your marginal state income tax bracket is there. Um, I know California does not give you a deduction. And then obviously states that have no income tax for the state can't give you a deduction. But 
I, uh, like I said, I like them. Uh, the money will grow tax-free in there. And then as long as you use it on uh, expenses for education, uh, there uh, are no additional taxes when you take the money out. What happens one problem, if you're... yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what happens if your kid gets a big scholarship? Yeah, you read my mind. Um, <laughs> you can take uh, the money out, but you do pay some taxes on the earnings, no penalty. Um, what I think is a pretty cool thing to do is just let the money ride for another 20 to 30 years and be there for the next generation. You can also okay. use it for, now that, of course, that may not happen either, right? You don't know for sure. Uh, you can give it to cousins. You can use it for yourself. You can set yourself up at an art school in Paris or a cooking school in Italy. <laughs> there yeah. are lists of approved Tell um, us more. Universities. But yeah, there, <laughs> there are things to do if you, you know, save, quote unquote, too much in a, in a 529. But I think leaving it as a legacy to grow for uh, the next generation is probably uh, the yeah, best, that's best way amazing. to go there. Yeah. Now, my husband and I were talking and we said that we, uh, we do have 529, one 529 uh, with our oldest son's name on it. And if he, for some reason, doesn't need it, we can change the beneficiary on it to our younger son. But we aren't putting as much into that as we are into our separate mutual funds because those we can liquidate and use however we want. So our thought process was we won't be as limited and we aren't the type to, you know, touch them or move them or uh, use them for other things. So we kind of just like allocated to both. We feel that the mutual funds aren't as limiting to us. So I think that's a good that. plan. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. That's a taxable account. You can do whatever you want with that money and get to it whenever you want to. And there won't be any penalties to using it for, like you said, whatever you want. Uh, the only downside to that is it, it does not grow tax-free. So you'll get right. some dividends every year and pay taxes on those. And depending on your marginal tax bracket and what the tax code is, then you may pay some capital gains taxes when you do access the money. So, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, but yeah, it sounds like you understand the pros and cons there. So I think what you're doing is, is smart. Okay, great. Do you ladies have any other questions? Oh, uh, what are your thoughts on leasing vehicles versus financing vehicles? Mm. You didn't mention buying a vehicle which well, is what yeah, I recommend. Obviously. Yeah. That's what I meant with uh buying. But, pay cash, you know, buying pay cash. cash would be great. Save but... up uh, until you can afford it. And if you can't then buy a, a lesser car. But again, I'm I'm coming from someone who had a physician income. I know not everyone that listens to the show uh, will have that ability. Um, although the white car coat investor he says buy a five thousand dollar beater. That's his recommendation. Yeah. Um, Dave I don't like leasing. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like leasing. I would, you know, do a zero percent finance on a modest car if you can't buy one with cash. Yeah, you know, it's my understanding. I've seen a couple of posts about this recently um, in different forums where now buying a car with cash isn't the same as it used to be. So I know dealerships get a lot of incentives to have you finance. So I've seen people like get a better deal if they finance their car and then just pay it off immediately. Have you, yeah. do you have any thoughts on that? That's an even better hack, but uh, mm. no, I've, I've not come across that, but that makes perfect sense. Well, Leif, is there anything else that you want to touch on or that you want our audience to hear from you about? You know, I can't say uh, that. No, I think just uh, <laughs> visit the website and I'm sure you'll find something else that, uh, you know, I've got a page with, 
all the posts and there are something like six or 700 posts on the website now. Yeah. Uh, any questions share you your, have are uh, probably answered there. Share your website again for our Physicianonfire.com, but you can get there more easily by typing in P-O-Fire.com. P-O-F-I-R-E.com. Yep. Okay. That's exciting. Thank you. I'm so glad we did this. Can we ask you the, some of the questions we ask our other guests? Yeah, of course. What are you binging right now? Well, like I mentioned, we've been running a lot lately. So I've been binging on long runs in the park, uh, which is amazing here. They have this like six mile long park that was an old riverbed. And now it's this amazing uh, place full of gardens and fountains and running paths and biking paths and walking paths. Um, but that's probably not what you're, you're asking about. As far as binging, we've been watching the Jurassic Park series. We just watched the first two this week with our kids. They're finally oh, old enough to watch it and not have nightmares. <laughs> so they saw one and two. And we were going to do the Indiana Jones movies, but I guess the second one isn't available on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime here. So we'll have to wait till we get back to the States to watch those. Nice. And are you reading anything right now? Mm, a lot of blog posts. Every Sunday I publish kind of a roundup article, the Sunday best. And so I read a lot uh, to do that. So I don't have a book going right now. You publish that on Physician on Fire? Mm-hmm. Nice. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, on social media, how people connect with you? Tell us all about that. Yep. Uh, we've already talked about uh, POfire.com. I'm on Twitter, at Physician on Fire. Instagram, same handle. And I'm on Facebook as well. Just uh, search for Physician on Fire and you will find me. I also have a uh, Facebook group called Fat Fire, which is like a higher budget financial independence early retirement uh, group with about 10,000 people uh, talking all kinds of stuff related to investing in early retirement and, and other, other fun stuff. Can everybody join that or... It is open to everyone. I do have a Physicians on Fire group for physicians, um, but the Fat Fire group is open to anyone. Can you, is it Fat Fire, like F-A-T? You got it. Okay, got it's it. Not P-H-A-T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know. Which would also make sense, but old 90s it came version. about as like the opposite of Lean Fire, which is like a really lean budget, you know, rice and beans kind of thing. So we're, uh, we're, we're not really living that way, so. Awesome. Yeah. And then the question everybody wants to know, uh, Mac versus Miller. Yeah, so I've, I've been a Mac guy. I trained at the University of Florida, and the Mac 3 was our go-to blade. Me too. Yeah, cool. Mac 3. Um, and when I worked in uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, I did some locum work there. They had a Mac 3.5 blade. That oh, was really that's nice. That's the sweet spot for sure. Because the 4 is too the big four's for like most big. men. Yeah, um, but that three and a half is very pretty much universal. It's big enough uh, for the fellas usually. I yeah. like that a lot. You know, I'll go to a Phillips. Uh, sorry, Phillips. Boy. Well, that was another Wisconsin one. Um, it's kind of like a Miller, but has a little wider flange, a little mm -hmm. more rounded. And once you get a view with that, it pushes the tongue out of the way a little better. Anyway, but I, I did use a Miller as a backup. Um, now that the glide scope is is so uh, handy and uh, prevalent. I guess that was usually my, my backup, uh, maybe even before the Miller. But, All right. So I guess we're yeah. two on two. Lacey and I go Miller. Uh -huh. Is that right? Mac. We need a tiebreaker. So we'll see what happens with this one. We'll keep That's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, I do like the Miller because, I mean, in certain situations, once you see the cords, you're going to get the tube in there. Whereas even with the glide scope, you know, you can see cords, but 
I have a tricky time getting the tube there. So mm-hmm. totally. anyway, I don't have to think about that too much anymore. I did have a dream just the other day, like <laughs> we were discussing a patient pre-op and, and, and difficult airway, the whole thing. And I, I don't think we decided on Mac or Miller, probably went with a the Glidescope there. You decided yeah. to retire and that was a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> but I still have like the, you know. The nightmares, they never go it's away, still I there. guess. I had high school wrestling dreams till maybe five years ago. So, oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still have the dreams where where I have a, a test in a class I hadn't gone to all st- all semester. I still get those dreams. Yep, and then you show up in your underwear when you yes, go. Yes, exactly. It. Yeah, it's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> so we will have Lacey wrap us up on this one. She was super excited. She taught us all about you before uh, Crystal <laughs> and I was were as well versed on you. I really enjoyed the. Um, research I put into this podcast that we were doing and really read your website and got a lot of wealth out of it. So we will definitely include all the stuff that you talked about in the show notes. So our listeners can also um, educate themselves and really start to get comfortable with these topics because I know they're scary, but um, Lacey, do you want to wrap us up for the week? Awesome. Leif, did we give you a chance to talk about where people can find you on your socials and that kind of stuff? Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Smart Mamas, and thank you so much, Leif, for joining us here on the podcast, and we're so excited to have you. I feel like I've definitely learned a lot, too, and I know our audience will be really excited to hear this episode. Uh, Smart Mamas, don't forget to subscribe to uh, the Scrub Cats and Sippy Cups podcast, and then uh, rate, review us also. We want to hear your feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Hey Smart Mamas, and then you can find us on Facebook at Scrub Cats and Sippy Cups. So thank you everyone so much for joining us today and we're so excited to have you. Thanks. Bye. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks.